sustainable care team, led by Professor Sue Yendel at the University of Sheffield, is exploring how care arrangements currently in crisis in parts of the UK can be made sustainable and deliver wellbeing outcomes. We aim to support policy and practice actors and scholars to conceptualise sustainability in care as an issue of rights, values, ethics and justice, as well as of resource distribution. Our Care Matters series includes publications, podcasts and blogs from our team and others working towards sustainable care. Hello and welcome to Care Matters, a podcast series from the Sustainable Care Research Programme. Today, we'll have a conversation about the positive potentials and the risks of innovative home care models, particularly focusing on digital platform providers. I'm Carla Zimpolio. I'm an Innovation Fellow at University of Sheffield in the UK. And part of my research is investigating emergent and disruptive models of home care for older adults one of them being the platform model, or home care urbanization, as we call here in the UK. And I have the pleasure to welcome Dr. Fiona MacDonald here today to talk about her research in this field and her latest publication at the International Journal of Care and Caring, which is titled Personalized Risk in Paid Care Work and the Impacts of Gig Economy Care Platforms. Dr. Fiona MacDonald is a Vice Chancellor's Senior Research Fellow in the School of Management at RMIT in Australia. Her research focuses on three interconnected themes, the changing nature of work and employment relationships, regulating for decent work and gender equality, and the political economy of work. Fiona's current research is on social care workforce, social policy, and welfare systems. Fiona, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us about your research. And without further ado, let's start with our first question. You have recently published an article about personalized care and the platform model. Could you briefly describe how is this model works and explain uh, why it's important to study this area? Hi, Carla, and thanks very much for having me here on your Care Matters podcast. This is a really important area to study as internationally the role of digital platforms and the organization of care, in particular long-term care or adult social care is growing and it's growing really quickly and impacting on both the nature and conditions of care work and perhaps the ideas of care itself. In personalized care, platforms provide people wanting to directly engage their care workers a means to do so. They provide an online marketplace for people requiring care and support to enable them to readily choose the workers they wish to engage. And this is, is of critical benefit to um, in personalised social care where that individual choice is, is a priority for many people. The operating model emerging as dominant for platforms appears to be where the person seeking a care worker chooses their worker from a selection of online profiles like an online dating site. The fee for care services is negotiated privately between the care user and the care worker. And most platforms operate such that they take an ongoing percentage of that fee from each of the care user and the care worker. So I think in, uh, the, in Australia, the model tends to be 5% of the fee is taken from the care user and an additional 5% from the worker. As in other areas where platforms are present in other labour markets, such as transportation or ha and household services, 
and online crowd work, digital platforms have become a focus of a lot of political discussion and of academic study for the implications they have for workers. Workers are engaged as self-employed contractors and concerns are that they are often employed under poorer working conditions and without the same social protections as other workers doing the same jobs. In Australia, care platforms are growing rapidly in what is a, a very new personalised disability support system um, in which direct engagement of care workers is promoted an as an ideal. I'm not sure how widely pl the platform model is used in the UK. Perhaps you could tell me. Yes, uh, well, platform care is becoming an increasingly central part of the care sector and home care in particular. It's kind of difficult to say exactly how much of the home care market is fulfilled by this type of model, mainly uh, because a lot of these introductory agencies, they don't employ care workers directly, as you said, and therefore they're not regulated by CQC, which is our Care Quality Commission, the body that regulates health and social care services. Of course, being outside the CQC regulation doesn't mean that they provide poor care. They can provide great care, and often they have their own quality procedures. But we don't have an exact figure, uh, but we know there are some key players in the sector, so, and it's growing. And I believe these digital platforms are actually moving in to fill the gap that perhaps the public sector is, is failing to meet the, this increasing demand for home care. And I think this automation and efficiency they offer to connect care recipients and caregivers, it's very positive, but also have some drawbacks. The model that I actually researched was a bit different from other platform models where they usually have a system for clients to rate the care workers. So the platform that I looked didn't have a rating system. They had a bidding system. So the customer would put the requirements in the system, for example, uh, someone looking for care for their mom who has dementia and needs help with meal preparation. She also has a dog and prefers a female care worker that, who can drive as well. So the system then filters the appropriate carers from that database according to these requirements and the level of experience. And that will normally generate a list of perhaps 25 to 30 carers that are appropriate to that client. And then a job summary is then sent to those carers and the ones that are interested can then bid for that job where they introduce themselves, tell them why they're suitable for the job. And then the client usually have perhaps three to five profiles to review. And then they have a chance to chat and meet with them. And it goes on for that. So they, they can negotiate rates, et cetera. But in your work, you also investigated the experience of paid care workers in these platforms. Could you tell us a bit about what good experience care workers have and perhaps what issues they highlighted? Yeah, sure. In my research and um, the research that's reported in the International Journal article, as well as some additional research I've undertaken since then, I think in general the good experiences care workers have uh, using platforms, the good things about their work generally are pretty much the same as the good experiences other directly engaged care workers report. And those are the good experiences that arise from not having an intermediary employer in your relationship. So where they're able, directly engaged care workers, including platform workers, often develop very close relationships with their clients. 
and this can lead to high levels of job satisfaction and to strong commitment. Some workers also find that accessing work through platforms offers the flexibility they want in work. Uh, They can directly negotiate their working hours with the people that they're providing care to. The workers who probably had the most positive experiences from platforms are highly experienced workers who find that the platforms enable them to pick up either occasional or um, additional short hours work that suits their schedules, suits their, that they can perhaps do in conjunction with another job, or they can develop a portfolio of jobs working with people who they like. And these workers, importantly, are also able to negotiate a fee that's really comparable to hourly rates they might receive as an employee is a good rate. These workers tend to be experienced workers who are confident about what they're doing. They're confident of the limits of what they can do. They're confident in negotiating their work. And that's the flip side of that is perhaps where, the, where I, you also see the issues. Many, many workers are much less confident, less experienced, less able to command a really good pay rate. And also it's where workers are relying on the work that they can gain through a platform to make a living which the more highly experienced workers uh, that I've interviewed are less likely to be doing. Um, So again, in terms of issues, many of the problems that arise are the the problems that are present in other direct employment care relationships, which are that workers often overall are are more likely than other workers to spend a lot of time working unpaid as self-employed workers They have no paid holiday or sick leave, so they go to work when they're ill, no paid travel time or other entitlements compared to other workers. And if they're inexperienced workers, they also haven't accounted for these things, so they find they're coming out at the end of the week thinking, well, that cost me as much as, (laughs) you know, as much as I earned. In highly private one-to-one relationships, the flip side of being having really close family friend-like relationships can be really significant difficulties with boundaries and emotional pressures that workers would normally have mediated through an employer. They would normally be working within an organisation that has a quality assurance process and, and procedures that has procedures to address occupational health and safety, which these workers are kind of left on their own along with the people they care for to manage and they find themselves subject to risks that they really haven't considered. And in addition, just the generalised risks from being isolated and having their care relationships sort of focused on they and the person they're caring for. As self-employed contractors, they're in highly precarious employment and unable to gain income or working security and stability. In relation to their experiences of platforms specifically, workers kind of tended to see these platforms as gatekeepers to gaining work in the personalised support market. However, they didn't actually see the platforms as doing anything other than taking their 10 to 15% um, of their earnings while they found that they felt they needed to be able to ensure that they maintained a 
positive profile and ratings on the platform or they were risking their future employment opportunities and that worried workers all the time. Other problems that they particularly had were um, inability to recoup additional costs. Often workers in their desire to provide personalised support would be amenable to changing arrangements to, you know, when somebody they were supporting wanted to travel somewhere or engage in an activity. But this required pre-negotiation of payment for any additional costs and workers were unable to do that on platforms. So those are some of the some of the particular problems. Again, as I said, many workers, if they were experienced, they were motivated to use the platform as additional work or else they tended to be less experienced workers motivated by just accessing the market. So I don't know if that is similar to your research when you've looked at the platform model in England. Is there a particular motivation for care workers to work in this way? Yes, actually everything that you just said, is, it resonates pretty much what we found here. When I spoke with care workers from the platform model, the one point that came over and over was the fact that they could choose where they wanted to work and also that they could see the same client every time. Uh, so they could address that continuity of care in a way that they thought was more appropriate, more person-centered. So being able to keep local seemed to be a kind of a big motivator for them. And because the majority of these care workers, as you said, are normally experienced, they they join this kind of plot, this kind of platform, but they have worked for traditional agencies before, where they were allocated perhaps shorter visits. Uh, they didn't necessarily see the same client every week, and there was uh, usually a lot of wasted time traveling around different locations. Sometimes they were not even paid for their travel time, so they talked about that too. Other motivations like being able to choose their rate. Uh, the fact that there was a minimum of one hour visits, often longer hours, and being self-employed were raised, but not as strongly as that proximity. But also, as you said, being self-employed was a major concern for them, especially regarding the practical aspects of uh, doing self-assessment, arranging insurance, uh, understanding patient contributions, that sort of thing. So care workers really operate as these independent contractors on the platform with the hours and rates um, determined in negotiation with the client. But the, the question is, does this higher income stands against perhaps the reduced social security and working conditions? Which brings me to, to a next point that I wanted to ask you, Fiona. There is a, a, a citation in your article that mentions that these platforms might be controlling labor, setting prices and disciplining workers while avoiding these risks and costs and responsibilities of employment. And I was wondering if you agree with that citation and if you have anything else to comment about that. Uh, yeah, I do agree with that citation. Um, I don't know that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that um, all workers have a negative experience. but. Uh, work is controlled um, by platforms. Uh, platform workers are without employee status and across the board uh, internationally it's pretty clear that workers in lower skilled occupations without, em without employee status do fare much worse 
um, overall and in the long term than workers who have the protections and benefits of employee status and access to um, social security. Uh, often the problems become when things go wrong, the problems become when people are sick, the problems become when they can't control or manage their work, that there, that, that there, is, there is no safety net. Workers don't have rights when there is a dispute with clients and, and often and platforms have, and in my experience, in my interviews, the platforms have demonstrated that they don't, they're not interested in offering those kinds of services. They're not interested in providing um, dispute resolution. So uh, a platform's overarching aim is to keep the client the client who requires care is the key to future business for the platform, um, whereas the worker is more dispensable. So there's no real value in to a platform in working through a dispute between a client and a worker. So while platforms could exclude non-paying or otherwise exploitative service users, workers' experiences are that that's not, that doesn't happen readily. Platforms aren't, aren't readily prepared to do that. Platforms also, and again, this is a particular context in Australia where um, the platforms are entering a new market and are really seeking to have a strong position in the market. And it's also happening in a context of public funding. I know that some of the platforms that you studied are providing for people in self, who are self-funding the care platforms that I researched are operating where people are relying on a fixed price or a fixed price limit of publicly funded social care. The platforms are able to push the prices down overall. So while a worker might be paid slightly more than they would as an hourly rate as an employee, Overall, the platform can provide care users with much cheaper services. And that's because they don't need to pay for any of the overheads and organisational costs that are associated with having a quality insurance system providing employee benefits. So ultimately, the platforms can gain a greater market share by by pushing prices down and they, they're doing that in terms of setting themselves up as competitors on price and setting setting up competition amongst workers around price. So advertising their key benefits as being around price. So while for workers the price might look just a little bit above what they'd get, it's not actually above what they'd get if you take into account what an employer would normally have to pay for in terms of um, providing superannuation or leave payments or covering employees for other risks. They also very strongly are providing an impression that a good contractor-client relationship um, for care workers is one that doesn't have many boundaries, that care workers are prepared to do anything and that is undermining for inexperienced care workers an idea that there is a right to having safe work 
there is a right to refusing to take on unreasonable requests or to be on demand. Um, so in those senses, I think that, um, yeah, I do agree with those statements. And in particular, I have for workers that I interviewed the concern that their job opportunities may be limited in future if they don't um, comply to what the market demands is really uh, shifting the way that workers are understanding their jobs. Perhaps you could tell me how you see uh, these models of platform workers shaping the market in um, England. Is it the same as I'm seeing in Australia? Yes, it's, it's similar, I would say. Um, and when I looked at different models like, like digital platforms, self-managed teams, community-based models or living care, I think if we look from a market orientation angle, it can be said that these home care providers are mostly market driven rather than shaping the care market. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that any organization, any provider can be both market shaping and market driven. So I, I think in this case, it's a bit of both. Um, some of these models are becoming more prominent here. In, in aspects of their models, like the personalization, the intense use of technology, are actually driving the home care market to, to improve on those innovations. And they have introduced innovations, not only in technology, but also in services and in the way they use the resources. And these are not only benefit themselves, but also fundamentally changing, transforming the context of the whole care market. I, I see it that way. So, for example, partnerships are key for all these models and they have direct implications to the market. So the partnerships are with other services like counseling or housing or financial advice. And this can really add more value and offer more holistic care arrangement for the, you know, the, the person receiving care, enhancing the quality and experience uh, of the service. And uh, a lot of the time, in state-funded care, the partnerships are not incentivized as they are, can be seen as subcontracting. And there are often elements in the contracts with local authorities, for example, that prevent subcontracting, which also prevents these networks from developing and growing. However, there are also a rise in integrated care, in state-funded care, which is adopting more collaborative ways which you can even stretch out that is, is can be more uh, partnership types. So I think overall it's growing and we're getting there. And another aspect of those models is also the focus on the workforce, which leads to hopefully more opportunities for, for workforce development and a more a better professionalization that can lead to better care. So they do have a, a strong focus on the workforce and the partnerships and you know how to to provide value care for for users but to sum up fiona maybe you can tell us a little bit what do you think might be the broader or more long-term impacts of this kind of platform models of care okay uh well i think i'm coming very much from looking at the experience of australia which was the establishment of a completely new market and so if that experience translates into other markets my sense of the long-term impacts is that 
they may be more negative than positive in many ways. I think there are two areas really, and you've touched on both of these. First is the impact on care itself. I think platform work is facilitating changes in the idea of care. And some of these can be really positive because it's actually facilitating that empowerment of care users to um, have personalised services that are outside the old patronising models of professional care that's something that's done to people. It's actually enabling people to take control of their care. However, there are indications that some care, and again, it goes to in the Australian experiences is we now have no facility or capacity or funding for training, for care training. The public price that's attached to personalised care doesn't enable organisations to train. Organisations are now working on a billable hours model. Their funding is billable hours. So the experienced and really highly competent workers that are making the most of and providing good quality care to, through platforms now, I don't know where they're going to come from because the public care system now no longer has the capacity to develop those workers. So if that persists, I think the risk is that care may be organised with a much lower skilled workforce and that care will be organised in ways that promote a kind of master-servant relationship and or that create really strong risks for care users as well. So a system in which care labour becomes seen as just a care service that you purchase, highly commodified, and where care is promoted as an endlessly flexible service and workers as interchangeable. We've already seen the develop recent, development recently in Australia of, um, I think it's called like last minute care. So it's the advertisements are, oh, have you forgotten to get a care worker for this afternoon? And it's buy a care worker off the shelf for two hours today or for an hour today. So that's really shifting the idea that on-demand care worker for really short periods for one-off circumstances. Um, the second long-term impact, I think, is essentially is the Uberization of care, where care work through platforms crowds out other jobs in the care market. And in Australia, again, it may be that our circumstances are unique, but the um, government managers of the care market are very keen to promote care platforms because of the cost, the ability to contain costs. And so the pricing of social care, it's developing based on a model of efficient providers and efficient providers are those providers that are actually not registered through the care system don't employ workers as employees. They're more like the models that have no overheads. And so I think the risks of that are, are of driving that price down so workers can be engaged more cheaply and actual service providers can be taken out of the equation completely, along with the costs of supervision, quality assurance, training and support for care relationships. And I think that there's an increased risk in that model, obviously for workers, but also an increased risk in public care markers that people with complex care needs are going to find it much harder to get good quality care. 
unless they are able to subsidise that care with their own additional funding. So I see it as undermining equity in the system. And I mean, I'm, I'm focused on those as the kind of less positive potential impacts, but I'm quite concerned that that's what's occurring in the Australian market. Yeah, I think it's actually very similar here in terms mm -hmm. of those long-term impacts. But mm -hmm. it's been absolutely a great pleasure to learn about more your work and your contribution to this area. Fiona, it's been wonderful to talk. Thank you so much for taking part in our Care Matters series and um, I hope to see you very soon. Okay. Thank you, Carla. It's been really interesting to hear about your work too. Thank you. A, a pleasure to be talking to you. Thank you.